Good afternoon. I have the lovely Will Dean with me. Hi, Will. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, Donna. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Will Dean. I'm talking to you from a wild Swedish forest right now. Um, I'm the author of the Tuva Moodyson series set in Sweden and The Last Thing to Burn that came out last year and Firstborn that came out last month. That's me and I'm very, very happy to be talking to you. Me <laughs> um, I can't, as I, we were just saying, I can't remember what I asked you last time, so I apologise if I repeat any questions, but I have them like in an order in my head, so I'm going to need to go through them. So um, did you always know that you wanted to write? Not at all, no. Um, you know, I'm, I'm from the East Midlands, from a family with no books or a home with no books. Nobody was a reader. And I never expected really to ever meet a writer, never mind be one, you know. And uh, my mum, bless her, she used to take me to the local mobile library truck and I used to get out a lot of books. So I was just a reader until I was in my mid-30s. And nobody, I didn't think that someone like me could be a writer. And then in my mid-late 30s, I started to think, Maybe I've got a story in me. Maybe I should try and give this a go. And um, since then, I've been completely hooked. So it's not, it's not something I planned or expected, but it's just been a really nice surprise. Was there a catalyst that made you sit down one day and think, actually, I'm going to do it. I'm going to sit and write. I think I just didn't have the confidence beforehand. You know, in my teens you know I, I read about these debut authors who are 19 and they write a big book and it gets a massive deal and I'm just like how did you have the self-belief to do that at 19 uh, I didn't know what was going on at 19 or 29 really and I was just finding my way in the world and doing loads of jobs and no I, I was not ready for this then and I don't know I needed to be kind of in my 40s really to to think that I could even finish a book Never mind for it to be published and people read it because it's quite exposing having a book published and I wasn't ready for it when I was young so yeah it's 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 all, it's been a nice surprise I still kind of pinch myself and it still feels quite weird and I'm glad I wasn't published at 19 or 23 for sure. If you were to choose one of your characters to take out from mail who would you choose and what would you ask them? My goodness it wouldn't be Len that's for sure. Uh, I think I, I would love to have a meal with Tuva, with Tuva Moodyson, because she's funny and smart and, and she probably wouldn't want to have dinner with me. And uh, I would want to ask her lots of questions about the people of Gavrik and Sweden. But I think actually with the new book, Firstborn, which I can show you here, uh, with this book, it would probably be Molly Raven, because... She's, I still haven't got to the bottom of her yet. She's quite complicated and different and interesting. And I, the only thing we've got in common is we both have like a lot of fire extinguishers and fire blankets and <laughs> we're quite obsessive about fire safety. Her because she's just very safety conscious and me because I live in a pine forest with no um, water. We just got our own little well. And like if we get a fire, there's no fire truck that's going to be able to find us in time or find us ever. So I'm very obsessive about fire extinguishers. So we have that in common. We can talk about that. We can talk about fire blankets. <laughs> that sounds like such a riveting conversation. <laughs> <laughs>
sometimes I want to be a fly on the wall, but that one, you're fine. You can, you can no. talk about that. <laughs> That's very niche. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which of your characters gives you most trouble? Well, I, I, I feel like I'm going to, I could easily give spoilers to books here. So I think when I was writing it, The Last Thing to Burn, the main character, Than, she gave me a huge amount of worry and tension. Like I felt very tense writing that book um, all the way through, really. And even when I was rereading it, doing proofreads and things, I was very tense for her. But I think I want to, I worry about Tuva the most because I'm with her so much and I'm with her every year with a new book and she's younger than me. And I just feel like she's slightly awkward. Like I was when I was younger and I, I want her to be okay. You know, I want her to be kind of at peace. So probably too. You realize you have control over this, right? That's kind of the whole idea of being a writer. I mean, I wish I have an idea. I have, I have a loose plan. And then the protagonist voice takes over to some extent so i have some control but certainly not enough <laughs> fair enough um and which character have you had most fun writing for sure it's the woodcarving sisters in uh in the tuba Moodison series these sisters who are both in their kind of late 70s who live in a very rural forest like mine who carve wooden trolls from the local pine trees and add human body parts human fingernails their cuttings of their fingernails human hair uh eyeballs from badges this kind of thing they are great fun to write not because of that but because of the way they talk to each other they're sisters in a similar way actually to the raven twins in firstborn so they have like, almost like a secret language because they're always together they don't really need the outside world they have their little code and that's great fun to write in terms of dialogue <laughs> yeah but mental images not nice <laughs> um you must have killed characters off in horrible ways in all of your books but if you were to be a fictional killer how would you kill your victims? Uh, I wouldn't. I mean, there's no way I'm, I could ever kill anyone. I'm, I'm very gentle. I'm a real hippie, you know. I'm walking around here. I, today I walked down to my favourite beech tree in the woods and just kind of stood next to it and gave it a, gave it a pat like I do my St Bernard because I find that very reassuring, especially when times are weird you know especially now with ukraine and russia and russia is fairly close to sweden so me the idea of me killing someone is pretty unlikely unless it was by accident like that could happen <laughs> but i'm definitely no hannibal lecter i'm no smart killer and i've written a few very smart killers and it's great fun to be in their head for a little while but then i want to get out of their head and uh yeah not no no interest in that See, I'm very gentle, very placid, but I've done seven hours of bank holiday retail work. I could kill <laughs> quite easily. You, all, I think you deserve to. You deserve it, <laughs> honestly, because I've done that as well. I remember working on Oxford Street before Christmas, every Christmas through university. And that was I was just done by Christmas. I was just exhausted. And uh, I've worked construction, you know, building sites and all sorts of things. But I think retail, when it's busy, as you know better than I, even I do, it's it can be very challenging. <laughs> it's yeah, it's just challenging actually. <laughs> yeah. It was it was an experience today. <laughs> I think I was there about an hour and ten minutes, and I'm like, oh my god, it's just going to be one of them days. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so if you were fictionally murdered, who would you want to solve your case? Where do you get these questions from? These are the most disturbing <laughs> questions I've ever had. If I was to be fictionally murdered. Yeah. Oh, my you know, goodness. Obviously, never wish that to happen, but just in case, you know. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, Tuva would do a good job for sure, but I can't choose her because she's my character. So I think Clarice Starling would be she's very smart and very capable and she's dealt with some pretty bad people in the past but i have to say bernie my saint bernard honestly because he'll come up with his barrel of brandy around his neck and he is very he's got a very good sense of smell so i think he could solve a crime by tracking the perpetrator i think he'd do a good job Right, he's a big softy. He'd be able to find you if you were abandoned in the woods, but I don't think he'd, much after that it'd be any use. <laughs> You'd be surprised because he's not, you're right, he's not aggressive at all, but he, he's very heavy. So he finds yeah. someone, he'll just sit on them until someone else comes. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just flop all over him. Um, what was I just going to ask you? What's been one of your most uh, fun scenes or chapters to write? <clears throat> Honestly, it's probably the ending of this book springs to mind. It's uh, the first half is kind of a murder mystery novel in a way. And the second half is more like a psychological thriller. And I enjoyed writing the whole thing because I was getting to know Molly Raven better. And I was in New York, the book set in New York. But I only really got to understand her after the halfway mark. And I wasn't expecting the second half of the book when I wrote the first half. It kind of surprised me. And that was immense fun to write. And something, it's like the, the, the way that that story unravels is unlike anything I've ever written before. So I had a lot of fun with it. Um, it all goes a bit Patricia Highsmith at the end. <laughs> okay. Oh, I'm so dying to read this, but I, yeah, anyway. Um, do you hide any secret jokes, messages, or Easter eggs in your books? Joke? I don't think I've hidden a joke. I mean, the jokes are there, but they're generally like, you can see them because Tuva, Tuva especially, like it's not in the dialogue. She'll meet someone in the street in Gaverick and she won't say something outrageously funny or acidic to them but she will think it inside her head. And because it's first person, you get to see her thoughts, which is quite fun because she doesn't mess around, but it's all inside her head because she wants to stay safe. In terms of Easter eggs, I think all the books are full of Easter eggs, especially the two Bermudison books, because there's like the four of them published. There's the fifth one coming out later this year. And yeah, there's some really long running story arcs there. So I do put something in like book two that will turn up and be really relevant in book four as a clue. Or something like that and that's really fun and I've got a few people who have written to me saying that they're rereading the whole series from the beginning and they find some of these things because I think it's quite difficult book by book but if you read them in order you probably get them and that's quite quite fun. Must be really satisfying when people contact you to say that they get them as well that's that's cool. It is it is like I said most of my emails and letters right now are just oh my god at first born like they because they, it's, it does stuff they weren't expecting, but um, 
any contact from readers, I think, is a real privilege. I love hearing from readers, uh, as long as it's not a, <laughs> a really horrible message, which it doesn't tend to be, then it's, uh, it's great, you know, because I'm still first and foremost a reader, and I still talk to other writers about their work, and uh, I'm still a fan, so it's, it's great. Yeah, um, and an author made me laugh the other day because we um, were telling them off about the sick stuff they write, and they're like, "But you, as the readers, demand it." I was like, "Oh yeah, that's a good point, actually." Very <laughs> touche. Yeah. <laughs> um, when you're editing, what's your most overused word or phrase? Oh, so many. It's it's always a, it's always a horror show. When I read through my work out loud, which I do before I deliver it to my editor, and reading a book, a full-length book out loud, is hard work, especially if it's stuff you've written yourself because it's painful. But it's so good because it highlights all the bits that are rep, rep, you know, all the repetition and all the weak points as well, where you kind of start skipping things. You know, you need to work on that or cut it out. And uh, probably like the word just is it all over the place and the word frown everywhere <laughs> and just these terrible terrible words that you can literally cut out 95 percent of them and it improves the book every time so yeah there's a lot of work always of rewriting and cutting yeah if uh, if frown is one of your most overused words then your poor characters <laughs> for sure yeah <laughs> that's the least of it i think <laughs> yeah um when you very first sat down to start writing what was the one thing that you wanted to experience and as it happened yet good question good question i had no expectations because i didn't know if i was going to get an agent and it took me years submitting to slush piles before i got a bite and before i got uh, a bunch of agents who wanted to rep me and then I didn't know if it was going to get published. And then when it got published, I didn't know if it was like I had super low expectations. I wasn't one of these debuts who got a massive deal and, and expects everything in one go. I was I had a small deal from a brilliant small publisher and I had low expectations. thought I might get a review in the Lincolnshire Echo or something like that. And in the end, it was reviewed everywhere and I had a big doubles page thing in the Sunday Times and it was in the Zoe Ball Book Club on ITV and Val McDermott picked it for her new blood panel at Harrogate and all that stuff was really totally bewildering and wonderful. But I don't think my publisher expected it, neither did I. And I'm still the same now. Like I just, I want to write my stories and being here in Sweden in such an isolated place means that I can kind of separate myself from all of the PR stuff and the real world and focus on my stories. And I feel like I need to keep doing that. Every book, all the things that happen afterwards are lovely. They're great, you know. I've just I just had a meeting in London with the people who have optioned the Tuba series to adapt it into a TV series, and we had a big meeting. That was exciting. I had a, a Zoom call with the people, the movie producers who are adapting The Last Thing to Burn a little while ago, you know, pinching myself. But can't I can't come to expect any of that stuff or or rely on it for my happiness. I have to get my happiness from writing the books. So for me, a first draft, that's all it, That's why I do it. If I wasn't published ever again, I would still write a first draft every year or two because I get so much pleasure out of it. Would you just self-publish it? <laughs> so please, no, I, I, think, I, <laughs> I think I would just, uh, if I wasn't, I would be terrible at self-publishing. I would be rubbish at it because 
it's so difficult like you need so many skills and you need to be able to manage this whole ecosystem of cover designers and editors and all that i i would be terrible at that like i can barely just write the books that's enough for me so no i would i would either do it the way i'm doing it now or i would uh still write and just lock them all in a drawer i'm sure your uh, your readers would demand you could probably send it out to about 100 people happily <laughs> but i got massive respect for people who self-publish because i think uh, it's a brilliant way to get your stories to people and to uh find those readers and the people who do it especially the people who do it well i tip my hat to them i think it's brilliant yeah it's tough um for them um i mean i talk mostly to indie you know self-published and it's tough so yeah absolutely massive respect to them lesson <laughs> it was struggling with their six reviews and you know stuff it's yeah they're struggling really badly but they're still doing it so it's cool and some yes. of them are doing amazingly well as well, you know, like Louise Ross, LJ Ross. She's incredible, she's, isn't she? Yeah, she's, yeah, she's, she's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I like her attitude a lot and uh, it's nice to see. And I think, you know, even Mark Edwards before he was, you know, he's been traditionally published for a long time now, but before that he was self-published. Same with James Oswald. I think Natural Causes, his debut was self-published. So they can really blow up as well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Um, if you're able to spend a day with one author, uh, dead or alive, who would you choose? It would be Stephen King, honestly. I, 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 there's so many that I would love to spend a day with and so many actually now that I have spent a day with or half a day or lunch or whatever. But um, it would be Stephen King, yeah. Because I owe him so much. You know, He was, he was the, the guy I read as a teenager, like many authors, and his book on writing... I reread every year and it gives me a big boost of confidence when I'm often lacking confidence. And that book is so generous. It kind of puts me on the right path again. And uh, I think he seems like a very good dude as well. You know, I think it'd be a fun, <laughs> a fun time. So yeah, it'd be Stephen King. Did you see his panel at Bloody Scotland last year? No, I didn't. <laughs> he was talking to Libra Barkley two absolute legends of the writing world and everything and they ended up comparing toilet stories because Linwood Barkley grew up in a trailer park I think and Stephen King worked in one for a while when he was a teenager and it was just two boys just chatting it was it's like just these massive writers and everyone's there for you know something and yeah they just ended up comparing toilet stories <laughs> I like that they're good guys yeah, it was amazing. It really was. I literally just, that was the clincher for me. I decided to go to Scotland, even though it zoomed, obviously, from America and Canada. I didn't care. I was like, I need to go and see this. But yeah, it was like broadcast. That's a hybrid festival, so everyone could watch. But yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> they do put on a brilliant festival up there. And I love the fact that, you know, I love the Sterling setting as well. I was there in 2000 and I think it was 19. And we did the two crime writers and a microphone comedy panel. So I was on there with, with Val and Mark and um, Sarah Pimbra and Denise Miner and Abia Mukherjee. And it was so much fun. It's a, it's a great festival. I can imagine, yeah. They're quite a bunch as well. I mean, Abby is just funny, <laughs> isn't he? He's just always laughing. And Mark is terrible, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> They're brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I told um, Mark Billingham off because he didn't remember my name. And then um, later on, he saw me walking past him and he called me by my name. I was like, okay, fair enough. <laughs> I let you he was, he was, I was at Harrogate in 2017 before I was published, just as a reader. And as a like, I'd signed my deal, so I was going to be there the next year. And uh, he was the first guy to like say, come over and have a drink at the bar. And he was so welcoming. I never forgotten it. He was extremely. He's just such. He's a very good guy. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like just as a reader, you know, I can see, you know, like even setting up interviews. You know, some people I have to go through agents and PR people. Whereas him, I just emailed him and said, "Do you want to come back for an interview?" And he said, "Yeah, sure." And then we we sorted it out ourselves, you know. And I'm nobody really, and yet he said yes straight away. So I'm like, yeah, you're a good guy. I like you. <laughs> He's a good guy, and you're somebody, Donna. You are somebody. <laughs> yeah. Everybody knows you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm starting to get recognised, which is very odd. Even when I went to bloody Scotland, um, two guys didn't really know who I was until um, Sharon Bed and was like said the name of my group, and they're like, oh, that's you. You're, and I was like, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> um, what was I just going to ask you? Um, as we're talking about festivals, um, obviously you're going to be at Harrogate because you're on a panel. Um, but are there any others that you're attending this year? Yes. So I'm trying to, I'm actually trying not to do them like every month because it's easy for me to travel too much and it's difficult to have enough time to write, you know, and to just be a dad and be a husband. So, uh, I was in like last month I was in Paris and Lyon and, and the UK touring for Firstborn. Um, and now I'm in the woods now for a little while, which is great working on my next book. And then in July, yep, like you said, I'm in Harrogate doing a panel with the Reverend Richard Coles and Anne Cleves and Tony Kent. That's going to be amazing. And then I will be at Capital Crime as well later on in the year. So I'll definitely be at those two in the UK. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to the. I saw Richard Coles uh, was on that panel, and I saw you. I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> you I know, think just, it'll be great fun. Yeah, yeah, he's great fun. And um, I'm going to one with Graham Bartlett, and he told me that I wasn't allowed to sit in the front row. I'm like, what do you think I'm going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so, You've got so a reputation. Now, yeah, apparently, not totally <laughs> undeserved. I will say. <laughs> So I'm going to make sure I'm going to sit in the front row right in his eye line. <laughs> I wouldn't do anything. It's, you know, but he'd just be nervous and it would be fun because I'm mean. <laughs> um, obviously, I have to ask you about being long-listed for the dagger. It would be remiss of me not to. How does that feel? That's great. It feels amazing. You know, it's the, it's the, the gold dagger. It feels... Um kind of weird kind of um wonderful it's yeah like i said before i, ne I never expect any of these things to happen so when they do it's a nice surprise and it's a brilliant list you know i've got lots of my favorite authors are on that list and uh some of my heroes so it's an honor to be on the long list really is yeah you know when the short list comes out i don't want to look i'm too scared <laughs> i don't know <laughs> oh, bless you everyone will tell you anyway yeah especially if you're on the shortlist and some of the others aren't then you're gonna get grief i sense well i i'm happy for everyone who gets on the shortlist and my publicist will let me know one way or the other and you know, i'll be happy for whoever's on yeah 
that's the nice thing about the crime writing community is it's a it's a little club and everyone's friends and everyone's decent I think you know so everyone's happy if someone else gets a break then everyone else is delighted so that's quite nice yeah oh absolutely yeah I mean even when I saw it usually I haven't heard of most of the people and stuff and I saw the long list and I'm like wow that's going to be hard to narrow down yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want well, obviously you'd, you'd have my vote <laughs> thank you that is my favorite <laughs> book on the list by far you know thank you thank you very much and then Alison Morgan, when she stopped crying, she'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> she's a crime writer as well, but she writes cozy crime. Okay, and well that's that's huge right now. Yeah, she's um, she only lives up the road from me actually. She's the first author I met because she hand delivered a book to my house during the lockdown, which was random but cool. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't do um, that from here. No, no. So yeah. <laughs> Bit of a prep. Yeah. She, um, she does a weird uh, sunflower challenge every year, so I have my own sunflower as well. Yeah, okay. but she grows. That's different. Yeah, I know. And she's just hilarious. But my sunflower's doing really well this year. Last year it wasn't. It was rubbish. But this year, mine's one of the coolest. So, yeah. <laughs> my eight, my eight year old is uh, planting sunflowers right now as well here in the woods. If the moose doesn't eat them or trample them, which probably will. Do you get enough sunshine in to, for them to grow? Does it? Yeah, I mean, that's the weird thing is it's cold so long and dark and then suddenly in spring it gets really, really light. So now it's light at like 11 o'clock at night. It's still really light. And uh, midsummer next month, you know, it doesn't really get dark at all. So then the sunflowers, everything grows like crazy. I've been out today for a few hours planting potatoes and planting all our food that'll keep us going through the autumn. So yeah, it's, uh, it gets a lot of light. Um, okay. Um, if you were to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where would you go? Wow. I mean, I would, I want to go forwards and back everywhere you know it's what a what a good question i would want to go back to the 30s when my granddad was a boy he passed away about 12 years ago but he was he's a real hero of mine he was a a guy who was born as like a he was born as an orphan and then he found out when he was 10 that his sister who he thought was his sister was actually his mum and she had given birth to him when she was 15 which was a big you know out of wedlock which was a big scandal back then and she was a maid in a house and he was like brought up in like orphanages. He was homeless for a while growing up. He just had a really tough childhood. And uh, he grew up to be just the kindest guy and a real big family man. And he grew all his, of his own food and lived in a very rural way, a simple way. And I really admire him. So I'd like, I would go back in time to the 30s and see how he was as a kid, compare him to my eight-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Oh. They look very um, similar, so. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it, how it, um, sometimes it skips a generation or, you know, the, the looks travel down. Um, I've got one cousin that, um, out of four that looks completely different to the others, but apparently he looks like his grandfather. So on one side of family, so yeah. Because otherwise we thought he was a milkman, he's that different. <laughs> <laughs> Sim. Um, who was your first celebrity crush? I think it was, or I know it was, when I was about 10, 
and it was Kylie Minogue, honestly. I don't think I've ever told anybody this in an interview before, but yeah, it was her. Not from Neighbours, but when she started singing. And I was pretty much madly in love when I was 10 years old with Kylie, yeah. Has that remained? Because she's quite hot still. Or she, well, she Not has- really, no. I think it, it didn't last until I was like 13, I don't think. But it was just <laughs> the first, it, you know, it was one of those thunderbolt moments where I was like, whoa, I, I'm, stuff's changing and I am obsessed. I'm in love with this person on the TV screen. So yeah, I, feel, I remember feeling that. Well, J.D. Kirk that I spoke to yesterday likes one as a Thundercat, so, wow. you know. Okay. Yeah, he didn't expect to be telling me that either. <laughs> <laughs> um, where's the strangest or funniest place you've ever woken up? Uh, it was, so this was when I was about 20, about 20, and I was already with my now wife. We were going out, and I went, I flew over to Sweden one summer for a week or something on holiday and we went on a bus up and down the coast there's an archipelago here like lots of little islands and we went on a boat with friends on a little like rowing boat across to a little island where there was a bar and we went drinking until three in the morning or something and then we were supposed to get back on a boat that somebody had but the engine broke so we had to sleep in a bush in like a tree uh, under a tree on this island uh until five six in the morning and then we hitched a ride with a fishing trawler to get back to the mainland and that was probably the weirdest place i've woken up where at three in the morning it felt very idyllic sleeping under a tree on a little island and then when i actually woke up a little bit more sober there was just broken bottles everywhere it wasn't very idyllic but that's probably it (laughs) (laughs) um well, I think that's all the questions I have for you. Um, can't think of anything else at the moment. So um, do you want to just show off your book again? Tell everyone where they can get it from and what's coming next for you? They were great questions, Donna. Very original questions, especially like the crush and the waking up. I've never had those before. <laughs> so this is this is Firstborn. Can you see New York? Is the New York skyline in the eye? Well, yeah, very on clever. The, on the mm-hmm. back, it's the London skyline. And... Um, it's a, it's out now so on audio and ebook and, and hardback and with a Goldsboro books you can get the one with the sprayed edges and Waterstones have signed copies and um, yeah I'm uh, really glad that readers are enjoying it uh, and if you want to find me to, to uh, complain that you couldn't sleep that night then i'm uh, on twitter and instagram and facebook and on youtube as well uh will dean forest author which is mainly actually me giving like tips on how to query agents and how to find a publishing deal and what to expect when you get published yeah yeah i am a subscriber to that i believe from last time thank you thank you i'll (laughs) i'll be posting more videos this summer it's been a while but i'll be back on there soon Fabulous. Well, thank you very much. It's been awesome. (laughs) My pleasure. Thank you, Donna.